Okay, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the epistle, Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Now, if you have not looked at the introduction, it's brief, I think about 11 minutes, but if you haven't looked at that introduction, uh, it'll be a good idea to go and look at that right now because it'll give you an idea of the overall synopsis of the book, the basic purpose and the theme of the book. So that is the microscopic look of the book. Now we get into the microscopic as we begin to look at the text line by line. But anyway, so since we have not, this is our beginning. This is the first chapter in the book of Philippians. We're just going to go ahead and get started and we're going to try to look at chapter one, but we'll do this in probably two videos because we want to keep the videos not too long, but we'll just look at probably verses one through 20 for this video and then for the remainder of the chapter, uh, we'll make this a second video, maybe even get into parts of chapter two, but this will probably be a two part video for chapter one. All right. So without any delay, let's just simply get started in the exegesis of the text. Paul and Timothy bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi including the overseers and deacons grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have Paul's salutation to uh, the recipients of his letters who are the Philippians, the Philippian Christians. But one of the first thing that we do note is how Paul addresses himself which is somewhat unusual when we look at Paul's uh, other letters that he sends to other churches, whether to the Corinthians, the Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians or whatever. But notice how Paul addresses himself. He, he, he brings in Timothy as well for Timothy is with him in the writing of this letter. But he just simply addresses himself as Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, do a Lord. Dualoid, bond servants, and that is the uh, terminology that we get for slaves. But what is important to note is in Paul's address to himself is the unusual sense of not calling himself an apostle, not calling himself an apostle, along with in his address to the Philippians. Notice how he says it, including the overseers and the deacons. Now that is absolutely beautiful. When you understand the letter as a whole, then you understand the reason why Paul is addressing himself in this manner and then addressing the uh, Philippians in the unique manner that he does. And what do I mean when I say the unique manner? Uh, and, and there is a sense of contrast. Paul not addressing himself as an apostle, that authoritative position that he has from Christ, from Christ the Lord being an apostle. But again, notice it too, the overseers and the deacons with respect to the Philippian church. No other letter do we see when Paul addresses uh, a church and he addresses the overseers and deacons in this manner in the salutation of the letter. So why am I making such a big deal? 
uh, about this because it goes to the overall intent that Paul is going to make. One of the driving themes that Paul is going to make in this letter to regard others better than yourselves, greater than yourself, more superior than yourself. And he's going to bring that idea in chapter two, which it infers what is in being inferred here, the sense of humility. And so this is how Paul is even addressing himself from the perspective of humility in what sense that he did not call himself an apostle because clearly who has the greater position, who has the greater authority, an apostle or an overseer, uh, episcopos, an overseer or a deacon. Clearly the apostle has the greater position, but notice Paul does not even mention his position at all, but what does he do? He elevates the mentioning of their positions, the, the bishops or the overseers and the deacons. He elevates their position above him because what is he doing as Paul is going to state for him, for them to do, Paul is going to say, follow my example. So this is what we begin to see even as he opens the letter, Paul's point of, as he looks at himself, thinks of himself from the perspective of humility, as he addresses themselves, he addresses them as being greater than himself. So this is the idea that Paul is going to lay down in the very theme of the letter. And he opens his letter so uniquely by not saying Paul an apostle and by including their official positions, overseers and deacons. Do you understand that? So Paul is laying that foundation of humility and thinking of others greater than, than yourself. Consider others to be greater than yourself. Even if you have the greater position, considering as he's going to develop also in the theme of this letter, the needs of others. So all of this, you can see uh, uh, how it lays the idea, the concept of humility, self-abasement, and the regarding of others more than or even greater than yourself, okay? So we see this in Paul's opening salutation in the letter. Also too, by the address of the overseers and the deacons. Remember now the basic uh, uh, picture that we have, Acts chapter 16, uh, Lydia, the cell of purple, and then later on the development of the Philippian church what we can see also in this salutation is the church has developed in such a way that it has a formal organization. That is the church is now large enough to have overseers as well as deacons. That's the formal organization of the church. And then he just simply says enough said about this. Let's just move on. Grace to you and grace to you and peace from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace from both God, the father. And then he uses that proper name of Jesus, 
Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, as we always say, whenever you see the title Lord Kurios, it speaks of the divine personage, Jesus as God, divine personage of Jesus and Christos Christ speaks of Jesus as the Messiah, the God who has come in the flesh. Okay. And so he just simply, this is his greetings. Now let's continue on with the Thanksgiving verse number three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay. So let's stop there. So now he begins, which is the normal way that Paul begins his letter. He opens up with the salutations with, with greetings of uh, Paul, uh, uh, identifies himself and maybe some those who are with him. And then the second part of the letter is the Thanksgiving only in one letter that comes to mind that Paul doesn't give this Thanksgiving. And that's in the letter to the Galatians. Paul got, got directly to the point of tearing them out the frame. But here he begins with Thanksgiving. He thanks God for remembering them how it was with them in his coming to them and how he remembers them always in every form of his prayer. And then he says, and as it's translated in the participation in the gospel. Now, as you'll note that I have this highlighted for you guys in green because, and whenever normally I've, I've, I've started doing this to kind of bring your attention to certain words or formation of words in the Greek I want to get your attention, but here the word for participation is koinonia. And so I have a, not so much as a problem, but I don't like the way that the NASB has translated this word, the participation. I, I kind of like more so, I think it's the King James version uh, translation of fellowship. And that's for the most part how koinonia should be translated here their fellowship in the gospel. That is not their participation as if to do something or in the giving of something participation, you know, but more so in their inclusion, their inclusion in the gospel, right? The gospel of their salvation. So Paul is thanking God for their salvation, their common salvation, just like he is saved as well. Their gospel that began from the first day, that is from the time that Paul brought the gospel, he preached the gospel to these Philippians and they began, these Philippians began walking in their salvation. And when I say walking in their salvation, they're living, they're living according to the gospel that Paul preached to them. And so what is Paul doing? He is thanking God for their continued living according to the gospel that Paul has preached to them. This common gospel that they share also with Paul, the gospel of salvation, even until now. And so that's why he continues to say, and he is confident that 
God, that is the he, he who began this good work, the work of salvation, because salvation is the work and gift of God, that God who began this work of salvation in them to the which they are walking, God will bring it to an acceptable point of completion. Now notice the words that I said, guys, an acceptable point of completion. He, will, he, he who began a good work will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay. So that is to bring it to completion. And notice what he says, the day of Christ Jesus. And you will see Paul talking about the day of Christ Jesus again and again in this epistle. And the mindset is that God will bring them. He's going to work in them in such a way to bring them to spiritual maturity until the coming of Christ Jesus. That is the coming of Jesus for his church. And we need to under, take, take our time to understand that. So let me slow it down and make sure you understand it really good because this is constantly in this epistle as well as in the mind of Paul looking that all of God's people, we need to constantly be looking forward to the coming of Jesus. And he speaks of that in the cloud that this is with respect to the church, the coming of the rapture for when the rapture comes first Thessalonians chapter four, verses 16 through 18. When Jesus comes in the rapture, he takes those saints who are dead. He, he gives them new bodies. He transforms our bodies and he takes us. He snatches us from the earth and takes us to be with him forever. And that's to fulfill John 14, one through three. Uh, 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 I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be with me always where in my father's house where I'm going to prepare those rooms for you, John 14. So we, Paul always wants us to be looking forward to that uh, uh, great event when Jesus comes and invades the clouds of this earth and raptures his people. So what is he saying? That he is confident that as they have been walking with God, these Philippians in the beginning, in their salvation. And as they have been walking with God, God will bring their salvation to a point of spiritual maturity. When Jesus appears, when Jesus appears, because when Jesus appears, as far as it has to do with the church and the church age, the church age and the church age, the church age is the period of time that began from the resurrection of Jesus Christ up until the rapture of the church, the church age, the church age ends at the rapture of the church. And so all of God's people and the idea, the Philippians here will be made spiritually complete 
by the hand of God. God will do this. So the God who started this work of salvation is the same God who will complete this work of salvation. And Paul is just simply expressing full confidence, his own full confidence that God will complete this work. And we're going to see that again too later on, but I'm not going to get into that because it'll make it too long. Okay, so now let's continue on. But remember that whole concept of the day of Christ Jesus, how Paul, this is a common concept of Paul. And even in this epistle and how Paul wants us to always be looking forward to this particular time, this particular event, seven, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Why? Because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now that was a long sentence, but let's break it down to see exactly what he is trying to say. Okay. Remember the whole idea of what he's been trying to say is in the day of Christ, he is, he is persuaded what that by the time this period come, this event takes place. They're going to be in good spiritual shape. Why? God is going to do this. So what? It's right. It is a proper thing for him to think and believe this because they are dear to him. These Philippians, they are dear to him. And then we have the notation and we, uh, that about his imprisonment again, remember the introduction that we did for this epistle in the previous video. For I have you both in my heart, in my imprisonment, that is Paul's first Roman imprisonment, that's what he's talking about, in defense and confirmation of the gospel. So not only are they sharers of Paul, that is that fellowship, koinonia, having fellowship in the salvation, in that salvation that they share with Paul, but they also are sharers in Paul's imprisonment because of his preaching of the gospel. And that's what he's talking about. So they are partakers of that grace along with him. So even at, though they are not, Paul is not saying that they are literally imprisoned with him, but in a spiritual sense, they are imprisoned along with Paul. Why? Because they share with Paul in his preaching of the gospel. And it's because of Paul's preaching of the gospel that he is imprisoned. Right. And so he continues on to talk about that affection that he has for them. God is my witness. How I long with all the affection of Christ Jesus and that love that he has for them. And not only in that love for them, but Paul also wants them to have that love for him and for one another. 
that common love of grace, that your love may abound still more and more. And I like that in real knowledge and what they uh, translate real knowledge is the Greek word epignosis, which is the idea is uh, true knowledge or intimate knowledge. So it's not a knowledge of surface or a knowledge that exists in obtaining or having information about obtaining or having information about. No, it is a deeper knowledge. It is a truer knowledge. It is a truer knowledge that is grasped because of love. It is a truer knowledge that is built upon having a real relationship with a truer and a deeper knowledge that is evidence. You see, the reason why I'm exploring all of this terminology is because that's the trying to bring out the dynamic sense of epignosis, not just simply gnosis, some common derived knowledge, but a knowledge of relationship. And that's why he translated a real knowledge in all discernment. Why? Because this knowledge is evidenced. This knowledge is what? evidence. What? 10. So that you may approve Dakimatsu. And y'all know if you've been following me for a while, that's one of my favorite terms to be approved. But so that you may approve what? You may approve the things that are excellent. Okay. Okay. Let me just break it down because I'm getting a little excited because real knowledge of Christ Jesus, when you truly have the knowledge of Jesus, is not a knowledge that simply uh, 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 is in your head. It is a knowledge that evidences itself in your life, in your life. It is how you live. It is what you do. So therefore, by what you do, it evidences the depths of your knowledge and the depths of true knowledge is evidences in, as Paul says here, the things that are excellent. So that's why I say approve the things that approve the things that are excellent and the things that are excellent is the things that whatever Paul has preached to them about righteous living in Jesus Christ, your righteous living proves what that depth of knowledge in order to be, and here's what I want to go on to this next section <laughs> to be sincere. Notice that's in green to be sincere and blameless again until the day of Christ. Now notice that sincere. I got that again for you guys in green. And the word is alacrines, alacrines. And, and, what it means is, is, is yeah, sincere is a decent translation, but the idea has to do of pure of heart, to be pure of heart and pure of heart and blameless in the day until the day of Christ or in is where it translated until the day of Christ in ace Hemeron Christu 
in the day of Christ. So notice he keeps looking for that point when Jesus should come back. So what he is saying here is this, that you have a true understanding of Jesus Christ. This true understanding is a lived out. It's a lived out understanding. You live in a righteous way. And this proves your relationship with Jesus Christ. It proves your true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it proves what is acceptable by Jesus Christ. You got all of that. But anyway, so that at the appearance of Jesus Christ again, and I want to touch this part here because it lays a foundation as it permeates. It permeates throughout this letter to be sincere or that word, ale, 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 krines. <laughs> y'all know my Greek pronunciation can be horrid sometimes. Elikrines, pure of heart and blameless. So this is talking about the individual that is, as you are living out the Christian life, not only are you living it out, but when Jesus, because even a part of this word, elecrines, uh, 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 that word pure or sincere, you can see a root, you can see a root in that word, crino, and crino means to judge and remember, all judgment comes from Jesus. So notice this as let, let's put this concept together. Elecrines. So as Jesus is judging you, how, what is he looking for? Elecrines, the purity and blameless, blamelessness, your purity. He looks at your motivation. And this is that permeation that goes in this letter. In other words, Motivation. Motivation means why you do what you do for not only will Jesus judge you for your works. He's going to judge your works, what you did, what you did. Right. But he's also going to judge why you did it. So if you are going to be rewarded for your works, because the Lord will reward us for our works. We see that in first Corinthians three, uh, 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 verse 16, the Lord will indeed reward us. For, and we also see this in revelation chapter 19. Okay. The Lord will indeed reward us for our works, but he will also reward us for those works. Those works will only be rewarded when the motivation was right. That purity, why did you do what you do? So if the motivation was incorrect, even if the work was good, now notice what I'm saying. Even if you did a good work, if your reason for doing it was not right, Dokimatsu was not approved by Christ, it will be rejected within itself. So thus you must not only have righteous works, but you must also be what pure and blameless. Your motivation for why you do what you do must be right. And for this reason, okay, I don't want to do a lot of, let me do a little preaching here, but also teaching you need to slow down, settle down, 
and consider not only what you are doing, but why you are doing it. Otherwise you run a very dangerous risk of losing your rewards. That's again, first Corinthians three and 16, your works can literally be considered as wood, hay and stubble before the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus burn your works up and therefore you receive no reward for what you have done. Why? Because the reason why you did it was wrong. Why are you saying what you are saying? Why are you doing it? Why are you preaching what you are preaching? If it is it for self glory, if it for is it for self aggrandizement or is it for the glory of Christ? Is it for the praise of Jesus? You know why you do what you do. And most of all, Jesus knows. But anyway, let's get back to the text. Okay. I'm making this too long. That's why he continues on in this section. It permeates. That's why it permeates his letter as he talks about others who are preaching the gospel. Why? Because they will preach with wrong motive. And so thus he warns even these Philippians. Okay. And he's going to talk about the wrong motives of others later on. I don't know if we'll be able, this is gone a little bit longer than I had anticipated it, but let me just go on. Uh, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, that's verse number 11, completing this section, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know what guys, I think this is probably going to be, it may be a two point part video or maybe even a three part video, but since I'm reaching for the most part, a 30 minute mark, I think it's pretty good. I'm going to stop right here and I'm going to end this video with this section. So thus, what is he saying? The point is having been filled, that is thinking about regarding what, Regarding, we want to do things that are approved of Christ Jesus. That is our righteous living. And we want to be what? Blameless. We want to be pure. That, that word, elecrines, pure and blameless before Christ Jesus. That is, we want to have the right motivation. We want to do what? The right things. And we want to do them how? for the right reason from a pure heart so that what at the appearance of Jesus Christ, whenever that might be, or even if death should come before then, because we know that once we die, that's the end. Jesus doesn't have to come back. That's still the end. And we stand before the Lord Jesus, but nevertheless, doing the right thing and doing it for the right reason. So that, when we stand in the judgment, we might be approved by Jesus, our Lord. So all of this, Paul said, so he says this, and here's my little preaching part here to cause us to consider, to really think about what we do and why we do it so that, so that when Jesus does appear, he can say to us indeed concerning what we have done and why we did it. Jesus might say, well done. Okay. So now we've basically finished the first thing. We finished Paul's 
uh, his greeting, his salutation to the Philippians. And he has laid down two things that we can see thus far in the sense of humility. Remember how Paul referred to himself simply as Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. But notice too how he referred to them of the Philippians to the overseers and the deacons, how he regarded them as what superior or greater than himself. These things that permeates the letter consider those. He'll talk about that in chapter two, regard others greater than yourselves. And again, Think of the needs of others even before yourself. So he kind of sets that out in the letter. And then also too, he talks about what? I thank God, second part, thank God for you. Part of this salvation, part of this work, that work that I have been imprisoned for, the preaching of the gospel, and you too are a share with me, but I want you, I want you to grow even more to a deeper knowledge and a deeper knowledge ain't in your head. A deeper knowledge evidences itself in how you live, how you live in a way that is approved by Jesus Christ works of righteousness. But I warn you, be careful because when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to be pure and blameless. Why? He's going to judge not only what you have done, but your motives. So be careful that your motives are right. Not only are your works, but your motives are right when we stand in the day of Christ. Okay. And thus he ends with, for the most part, the, 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 the kind of like the welcoming sense or the early parts of this letter. All right, guys, thanks for joining me with that. Join me next time as we continue teaching as Paul begins to talk about uh, which one of the reasons for his writing of this epistle, how he is doing. He's going to inform the Philippians how he is doing, but he's also going to talk about how the gospel has been furthered even, even in his circumstance. And then he's going to talk about how th those who preach the gospel, as we were talking about earlier, they do preach, but some have the wrong motives. All right. All right, guys, if this teaching has been a blessing to you, uh, there's always a link in the description that you can use to support the ministry. And for those of you who have done so, let me say thank you and God bless you. See you next time.